Well, if you were listening in there, you heard kind of tucked away, right, kind of in the center, some, some words that might be, might be new to you, might be for many of us probably fairly familiar. This is the context in which those words are found. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if we didn't know that it was Jesus who said those words, I mean, come on, right? Wouldn't we call that a lie? I mean, I think, I think many of us, frankly, even knowing that Jesus said it, we, we certainly doubt those words. I mean, they're kind of cute to say, right? They make us feel good inside. They, they probably look really good on, on a greeting card. Uh, but we know that getting, I mean, it feels better, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever explained, tried to explain these words to kids around Christmas? Uh, I have. It's disastrous. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I can could, I could clearly, clearly remember the first time I kind of sat the kids down and said, well, you know, Jesus said, kids, it's, it's, better, it's better to give than to get, I promise, right? And it was one of the first times I could clearly see in, in their eyes looking back up to me that they were convinced, dad is a liar, right? I mean, it was, it was so, they, it was this, this breakdown with, with reality. And yet, listen, listen to this new research. I, I just saw this this, this week. Uh, it is uh, a study coming out of um, Notre Dame University by a sociologist, Christian Smith, published by Oxford University Press. Here's how the book begins. Generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. In letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. That according to their research, those who consistently practice generosity, not sporadically, right, not just around the holidays, but live lifestyles of generosity, according to the research, they consistently report greater experiences of happiness, bodily health, purpose in living, avoidance of depression, interest in personal growth. Friends, the best life is the generous life. And we might discount Jesus's words. I mean, that was so long ago, and of course Jesus said that, right? He would. At Oxford University Press, right? That's something to pay attention to. Maybe it is better to give than to get. Now, let me stop for a second here, because I, I know that nobody, or I should say, almost nobody likes talking about money. Okay, I'm just going to call it out. Some of you are uncomfortable already. The cynicism and whatever is already starting to, to rise up within you. I can see it, right? It's, it's, it's going to happen. I, I get that. We don't like talking about money, especially not in church, especially when it, when it comes to giving said money away, right? We, we hate it. And I, I totally understand, okay? I like money too, all right? But do you want to know what I like more than money? Those things. That's what I want, I mean, that, that is the paradox, isn't it? That I, I spend, me, right? I spend and I hoard in vain attempts to acquire those things. When the reality is that the greatest, greatest research shows that I'm more likely to receive those things by giving stuff away. 
And so if there is any truth to what Jesus has said, I'm all ears. Because this is, this is what I want, right? All of us. Okay, so we're, we're in this series on neighborly love. Uh, if you've been with us these past few weeks, we've talked about how um, work and economics and money are, are um, primary in the ways in which we love our neighbors. That they're, they're part and parcel. That the work you do, whether you get paid for it or not, matters deeply. It matters to God and it matters to your neighbor. Um, and we've, we've talked about integrity. And we've talked about collaboration. Uh, we've talked about, about justice. And now this morning, as we conclude this series, this is our last Sunday talking about this subject together. Um, there's one more essential truth that we've got to talk about. The best life is the generous life. Neighborly love is generous love. So if you have a Bible, we're, we're in Acts 20. It's in the New Testament, Acts, if you're not sure where it is. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, it's in there. We'll have the words up here as well. Uh, and we heard them read a moment ago, uh, but now we want to kind of slow down and walk through them. And what Paul is getting at Even just a little context, Luke is writing Acts. He's the author of Acts. He's the witness of these events. So this isn't one of Paul's letters, but Luke is there witnessing, writing down what Paul is saying uh, in this this place. And what Paul gets at is if you want to love your neighbor, right? If you want to live the best life, three three things, right? You've got to fight covetousness. We've got to work hard. And we've, we've got to live generously. Okay, as I said, these are Paul's final spoken words Uh, to the church leaders there in Ephesus. So this is like maybe 25, 30 years after Jesus, and Paul has spent uh, his life, and Paul is the most unlikely convert, right? Hated Christians, uh, murdered Christians, uh, meets Jesus, and, you know, becomes a follower of Jesus, and spends the, the rest of his life planting churches all across the known world. And he's just spent the last three years in Ephesus planting that church, helping them understand who Jesus is. And now he's saying goodbye, And he knows it's the end. He's compelled to go back to Jerusalem. This is where Jesus was crucified, knowing that nothing is there for him but hostility. And so backing up from the text we read, verse 23, just some context here. Paul says, Imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, none of you, will see my face again. And the last thing he tells them before he parts, the last words matter, don't they? It's better to give than to get. And as as he breaks us down in these, these farewell words, the first thing he says about money is that you've got to fight covetousness. He gives his own example here. Verse, verse 33, covetousness. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Because generosity begins in here, right? It begins by, by fighting this tendency to grab onto things. And, and I mean, coveting is such an interesting sin, isn't it? Because it seems like, I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Like all of us deal with it, every one of us, right? You, we, we want stuff, right? Um, it's so everyday and so common, and yet, I mean, do you realize it made it into God's, like, top ten list, right? It's in the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not covet. It's kind of a big deal, but why? 
What is it and why is God so concerned about it? Well, the covet is a consuming desire to get something you don't have. And often something that you don't have rights to. It's a consuming desire to have something. And if that desire is indulged, you'll do something you shouldn't in order to get it. And so it's okay to want something. It's not okay to build your life around the acquisition of that thing at any cost. And let me be the first to confess, I struggle with this. I, I, I never thought I did, honestly, uh, until maybe a year, year and a half ago. I don't even know exactly what sparked it off in my mind, but I realized it just hit me like a ton of bricks that envy and covetousness are just a deep part of my own brokenness. I, I covet people's stuff. I covet their opportunities and, and respect and affirmation. I, you know, I, I, I covet their, their personalities. I mean, any of it, right? I, I, I covet, and frankly, there's, there's no shortage of things that you and I can covet and build our lives around. And so as a coveter, let me tell you why I think Paul links coveting and generosity. It's probably obvious, right? It's because they're op- opposites, aren't they? Covetousness and generosity cannot coexist. If you spend your life wanting what you cannot have, you will not give away what you do have. Generosity begins in here. So let me, let me ask, and, and this, this is a question I hate just for the record, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, what does money mean to you? Because as we think about covetousness, we've got to kind of get to this, this root. Like, what, what is it about money that draws you in? Because we all struggle with covetousness, I think, and, and yet it's different for, for all of us. Because you don't actually covet money, right? Green paper. You covet what money can do for you. And we all think about it in, in different ways, want something different out of it, what it means to us. And so, for example, and Kelly said I could share this, um, but there are, there are times occasionally, uh, in which she and I will argue about money. I'm sure there's nobody else in this room who could possibly identify with that. But indulge us for a second, okay? It happens. And and when when we argue about money, it tends to almost always be something like this. She thinks we should save more, and I think we should have more fun. That's... (laughs) That's what it comes down to, right? And she, she believes in having fun, and I believe in saving, right? And yet money means slightly different things to each of us. And so we covet it for different reasons. And so for Kelly, money is a path to security. Saving is good, right? Of course, we, we should do that. And yet uh, we know as well that hoarding, uh, creating this false sense of security around ourselves is, is sin. It's worshiping the idol of control, Right? So often, for many of us, money is about control. And I, I deal with that too, okay? So I have, I have the control idol down as well. Uh, but for me, it's, it's also about this pursuit of, of happiness, of, of comfort. Also good things. And yet, so often, that's, that's where I end up coveting money for. It's because of what money can do and how it can, can make me feel, right? Feel just a little bit better about, about stuff, right? And so I tend to worship the idol of pleasure, now, others of you, it's maybe very different than that. Maybe you have some of those, and another big idol surrounding money is, is approval, right? Because money makes you look important. And, and so maybe, maybe if you, you've got you've to have the right clothes, uh, you've got to have the right car, you've got to have the right house, and you, you maybe don't even know who it is you're trying to prove yourself to, but essentially that's what's consuming you, right? 
You got, I'm good enough, right? I've I, I made it in the world, right? You've got to get the respect and the affirmation, the status. Um, we all covet for different, different reasons. And if you're unsure what it is for you, look at your bills, right? Look at your, look at your budget. Look at the things that you daydream about. And ask yourself, what does money mean to me? Where am I coveting? Why am I coveting it? And look at the, the alternative here, because Paul, Paul shows us elsewhere. It's in 1 Timothy 6, for example. Let me read a few words there. He says, but godliness, this is kind of the contrary, right? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire, okay, that's the idea of covetousness, right? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I mean, do you catch the seriousness of of what Paul's talking about? This desire, right? This endless longing for more. It's for some, Paul says, it's why some walk away. If you want to keep following Jesus, if you want to build your life upon him, if you want your kids to keep following Jesus, we have got to fight covetousness. Generosity begins, begins in here. Second, then, as Paul continues these last words, If you want to be generous, yes, you have to fight the give me attitude. uh, But we also have to work hard so that we actually, you know, have something to to give, right? So back in in Acts 20 then, verse 33 again, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Um, What do you think is interesting? Paul mentions clothes, right? Coveting somebody's clothes. Um, Who knew? 2,000 years later, right? Um, you, you yourselves know that these hands, he's talking about himself, right? These hands ministered to my own necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And we talked about this early on in the series, right? That our first job description as humans, like the very beginning in the garden before it all fell apart, was to work, to, to contribute to the, the good world that, that, God, that God made, and I love that Paul here uses the Greek word kopiato for work. Because it's not just kind of the generic word for work. It's a word that means toil, like weariness. It's hard. It's brutal work, Paul is saying. And the writer of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, he adds, adds to this. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Work is supposed to be hard. It's just why it's called work, right? And, and if you, and I, I do this, but if you're always looking for life to just get a little bit easier, and I can't tell me how many times I say, well, it's just a busy season, right? Like it's something I've got to endure to get through to the other side, right? Or, or just, just wait till the, the kids get a little bit older or, or the job gets a little bit simpler or, or school, you know, you get through that class or whatever. If you're always looking for the next thing when life finally gets easier, there's a really good chance you're going to live a miserable life. Because it's hard the whole way through, isn't it? 
It's, it's part of this work thing. And, um, hey, we don't, we don't like that. It's, 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 it's difficult for us. And so another, another fun question. Are you embracing the toil? Not just surviving it. Actually embracing it. Realizing that this is just part of what it means to live this life, to be a part of this existence, to, to fulfill what God has called me now in a, in a broken world. Because I realize for some of us throughout, throughout our, our weeks together here, I'm guessing that some of you have kind of had an experience listening to things and you're like, yeah, I, I agree. I, 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 hear, I hear what you're saying and work, it matters and all that. But man, I, it's, it'd really be nice if I actually like my job, right? It'd be great if I could see how my work actually does contribute to the world that God made and found some satisfaction. I realize some of us don't have that. And maybe, maybe you're asking, like, how do I fit into this? Now, obviously, if you can make a change, make, make a change. Yeah, in the meantime, let me just give like five quick biblical tips for like when you hate your job, okay? Um, I, th- I think they're, they're rooted here in, in, the, in the places that we've been uh, throughout this series. Let me, five, five of them. First, I mean, this is what Paul is saying. You just got to expect work to be hard. You got to go into it with the mindset that sometimes this is going to be awful, right? That because of sin, every job has thorns, even the very best job has been affected by this curse, right? This fall, this fall into sin. We've got a plan for the toil. There's a reason it's called work. I mean, I heard recently that, uh, that even of those who say they like their job, really only like it about 60% of the time, right? Like even the best job, right? The people who love it and just get up excited, it's still like 40, 40% awful, right? Or hard, right? Because that's, that's what work is. It's, it's toil for us. Expect it to be. Second, second we've got to focus on the purpose, like the big picture. Um, as we defined work in this series, right, it's creating goods or services that better people's lives. And that's essentially work, what work is, right? Goods or, creating goods or services that better people's lives. And you may feel just like a cog in this big machine, right? And you don't see how you're a part of that. And so you've got to focus on the big picture of what, what, whatever industry you're in, what it's accomplishing that's actually bettering people's lives, how what you do uh, loves, loves your neighbor. So focus on that purpose. Third, you've got to remember you're the boss. Um, that was in Colossians, right? We talked about that, that Paul says, it's the Lord Christ your servant, and he's telling that to a bunch of slaves. If Paul can tell slaves to do their job as unto Christ, I really doubt any of us have it worse than that, right? That we, that we can do this. Fourth, I forget this one. We forget, I think. Uh, let the toil shape you. Just to remember that God is always making us into something. Um, and he often uses very unpleasant things to do that task, doesn't he? Hard things, suffering sometimes, pain. But we're always being shaped into the person that he wants us to be. I mean, I hate to say it, but your dad was right when he made you rake the leaves. It does build character. There's just, there's no way around it. It does. And God is shaping us. And then fifth, the last thing here, as we're talking about this morning, embrace generosity. Because I, I can see especially this disconnect. If you hate your job and you're not living a generous life, this, this ma- major disconnect, because you, you don't even see the value of, of what you're able to, to do in, in giving away, right? Part of the responsibility of those of us who, who work, who make an income, is to be generous. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe everything else is, is awful. And yet, if you embrace a generous life, you can see that, even that is accomplishing some good in other people's lives 
as you give to those in need and give to missional work of others. Work is hard, um, but it's not to be avoided. Uh, let, me, let me show just one more sort of quick example. We've done this throughout, uh, t- shown some stories of congregation members seeking to live this out. And this one's a little bit different because uh, this is an individual who is retired, uh, had a hard job uh, working for the FBI, uh, but has now in his retirement embraced another sort of hard uh, way, way of life. So let's, let's watch. A year before I retired from the FBI, I made a conscious decision to, uh, upon retirement, to do mentoring. And during my last few years in New York, that's what I did, mentoring with 100 black men of New York. I saw the need here coming to Kansas City. You know, we can all attest to the challenges that the Kansas City Public School has in providing that leadership to the, to the younger generation. My name is Jerry Rose. I've been a member of Christ Community for a little over a year now. We started a nonprofit organization called Look Up. And what Look Up is all about is mentoring students within the Kansas City Public School District especially uh, four signature schools. We're starting with seventh graders. Our plan is to mentor these young people from seventh grade on throughout their academic life in high school and to follow them throughout their college or professional careers. Establishing a network of people that will eventually contribute and become leaders here in Kansas City. I went to New York as a senior executive in the FBI, and my goal at the time that I arrived in New York in 2006 was to work a few years in New York and um, retire and get that big corporate security job. So I laid out my plan for myself to God and for his support and and blessing, and uh, simply God said, no, I want you to go back and uh, you've talked about it to me all your life, Jerry, that you wanted to mentor and make a change while I'm giving you this opportunity, and I want you to go do my will. And here I am in Kansas City. My faith has been one of a struggle, and constant questioning, questioning God's role, God's will for me. I'm at peace now with that. And I have that confidence, God-given confidence, to go out and, and do His will. I believe that. There's a culture out there, it's a negative culture, and uh, I want to change that. So that's what I'm devoting my life to. I love that. Um, work is hard. Whether you get paid for it or not, work is hard. Uh, and yet there's joy, can be joy, in the toil. So the last thing here, live generously. So yeah, we have, to, we have to fight covetousness, right? So our hearts are ready to give, and we have to work hard so that we actually have something to give. And then comes the really hard part of actually, you know, doing it, right? To actually live it out. But the best life is the generous life. Now remember with me, as I read these words, that Paul is speaking to the, the leaders of the church. And he says to them in verse, thought, verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. 
And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so for Paul, saying this to the church leadership, right? for him, this is simply part of what it means to be part of the church. It's, it's part of the very core identity. It's not, it's not like this thing that we add on, like if we can. It's, just, it's part of who we are. It's part of what, the very identity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We help the weak, and we do it together. And we, we've talked in this series, right, about the complexities of, of giving to the vulnerable and how easy it is to do more harm than good, even if we think it's good that we're doing, right? And knowing that, I often feel just paralyzed, Right? What do I, how do I actually help and, and help, help well? Well, this is why it's so important to see the church as the primary avenue for generosity. Economist Brian Fickert, for example, and I realize it probably sounds self-serving to hear me as a pastor say that, but let me, let me read a couple of examples, two different economists. Brian Fickert was one of them. Uh, he said, the greatest asset in any community is the church that is already there. Because the local church ought to be, ought, not always is, but ought to be the best, most sustainable, most holistic way to give people the help that they really need. Another economist, uh, Harvard-trained, uh, Raj Shetty is his name, uh, in an article last month in the Wall Street Journal, just a couple of weeks ago, um, argues that one of the most important institutions for economic flourishing is neighborhood churches. And so again, friends, without, without, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant or self-serving or triumphalistic, and yet as a church, we ought to be the very best neighbor collectively, like here in this place, in the, in the neighborhood in which we're found, but also individually and everywhere we go, because you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the church in all of those avenues. Everything that you touch, we ought to be the ultimate good neighbor, caring for the weak, proclaiming the good news, welcoming, loving, encouraging, supporting, transforming us, both together and apart. So are we learning generosity? Yeah, with our, our time, our talents, I mean, there's lots of ways in which we need to be generous. But also with our money. Yes, individually, right? There's a role for that as well, but also together as a church. And we believe that the best understanding of Scripture leads us to, to say that um, you should give a follower of Jesus, okay? If, that's, if that is you, at least 10% of your income. Uh, and then above and beyond to other things that you encounter, uh, other needs that are real in your life, but the first 10% to go to, go to your local church. Um, I know that sounds probably insane to some of you, right? Like, who does this guy think he is? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I, I, I get that. This is why the covetousness thing and the hard work part is so important. But the reality is God sets a really high bar for his people. And yet if you look around, God is doing amazing things through his church. But all of it costs money. And so for even for us as a church, I mean, think about you know, starting new campuses and the fact that we have five campuses, that costs a lot of money. And the organizations that we partner with in our city to, to bring flourishing to the communities that are, that are hurting most. We talked a lot about those justice issues last, last week, right? That we, we support, we, that costs money, right? The, the institutions that we're partnering with globally in places like Kenya and Rwanda and Iran and China, all that, all that costs money. The needs that we get to help with people within our own congregation, there's a cost to all of it. Or even as we think about our, our new Shawnee campus, we just started and they're, they're homeless, essentially, right? They've got a, a temporary spot, but... What's next for them? 
Or I think about what's happening here in Olathe. It makes me nervous every time I think about it, but the reality is we're, we're just outgrowing the space. And we, we live in a, a fast expanding neighborhood, right? All around us. And for us to be, continue to be a place of hope for this community, we've got to expand as well with them. And that's, that's going to cost. But the opportunity to see lives transformed, people meeting Jesus, families changed, workplaces, schools that we get to partner with together. Yeah, it all, it all costs money. And I, and I realize for some of you, maybe, maybe when you hear that, you think, well, yeah, but Christ community, you guys are in such great shape, right? Look at your budget. Yeah, you got it, you got it together. Um, and, and I understand that, right? We are. God has, has been incredibly faithful to Christ community as we continue to step forward. Uh, but if, if that's you and you're saying, well, you don't really, Christ community doesn't need my money. There's a couple things that that response is predicated upon. First of all, the reason we're in such good shape is because the person sitting next to you doesn't share that same narrow philosophy, quite honestly. And so you can thank them later, right? I mean, just being truthful, right? That's part of it. Not everybody could have that philosophy, right? Uh, or it all falls apart. But also, I mean, just more important even than that, what a narrow view of what the local church could be. Yes, God has been incredibly generous to Christ's community, and we, we have opportunities and resources um, that some churches would, frankly, just dream about, right? Couldn't even hardly imagine. Just imagine what God could continue to do through us. What the next, next campus, right, and, and other campuses, and ways that we can invest more deeply in these, these local and global partnerships, and the, the ways that we can stretch ourselves to actually see God doing his work in us. And that, all of it, it's going to take all of us to dream big together and say, what could God do through a local church that had these kinds of resources that worked together, partnered together to help the weak? And it's going to take sacrifice. I mean, generosity is supposed to hurt, right? I mean, honestly, if your generosity isn't hurting you, it's not really generosity, is it? And I realize like, you're either like squirming or you're just not listening um, at this point. Because I'm squirming, right? I mean, did you hear that, right? If, if your generosity doesn't hurt you, it's not generosity. And, and this, this means if we're going to do this, all, we've got to live below our means, way below our means. We've got to be wise in how we save and spend and think about debt. We've got to be smart in the way that we teach these things to our children. And I know that when I talk about generosity... Um, there are, there are two extremes in the room, right? Um, there, there are, first of all, those of you who, you, you just, you know it. You, you live it, you love it, and you, you understand this life, this 10% plus. You know that it's, it's hard, brutally hard sometimes. You know that there are things you have to say no to. Uh, but you've, you've lived this out and you see the rewards. You know experientially that it really is better to give than to get. And if that's you, let me just say thank you. Um, I love that we're a part of such a healthy church in which we can say that, right? It makes it so fun to be a pastor and to, to think about what God continues to do through people gathered together on mission together. Everything good that you see happening around here, you make that possible. Don't the rest of us want to be a part of that? Because the other, the other extreme, the other extreme at best thinks I'm, I've just lost my mind, Right? Right, truthfully, like 10% plus, you, gotta, there's no, right, you think it's absolutely insane to even think about. That's the, that's the best of this extreme. At worst, you think I'm just manipulative and self-serving. Right? And I, I get that. I don't always trust me either. Okay, um, I know that. 
But I don't know what else to say. This is, this is what I believe wholeheartedly we learn in this book. And it's what I truly believe is the best life for each of us. Generosity. So those are extremes, and I realize that there's probably like a huge majority probably somewhere in the middle, right? You're doing it some. Maybe it's a little more sporadic or not consistent, or, or maybe you're curious, but you're skeptical. You're just not really sure. Or maybe, frankly, maybe you want to, but you just don't know how, right? Because you've made decisions, lifestyle choices that, that make it, you know, really, really difficult, if not impossible. I, I, I get that. Um, so let me, if you're in that middle category, let me just give a, a simple next stop, step. Um, start somewhere. I mean, look at, look at your budget. Um, pick a place consistently, um, a percentage, and say this, and stretch yourself, right? Don't make it easy, right? Generosity's got to hurt. And start, start giving that. And make, it, make a goal, knowing that that's probably not where God would have you, but it's a place to begin. Make a goal to, to increase margin in your life, and to be able to live in such a way, to be able to get where, where God would have you. And frankly, you just got to try it, right? You got to test it out. See if Jesus was telling the truth when he said it's better to give than to get. And really, this is, friends, and this is the most important part, right? This, this is what he's done for us, right? It's not like he's asking us to do this really hard thing. Like, this is what, this is exactly, this is who he is, right? He, he became poor. He gave up everything. He suffered and died. He wasn't stingy with his blood, but poured it all out on our behalf, freely for our forgiveness. And he rose again to give us life, which means, and this Again, this is what we've got to grab onto. This means that all those other things, all those other idols, right, those coveting idols that grab our hearts that we think will satisfy us, it means Jesus has already given those and promises those even more, right? Status, really? Safety? Satisfaction? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a son or daughter of God, the one who made everything do we really think for a moment that money's got any handle on that? That it could possibly compete? The best life is a generous life. And I know, I know you might not believe me. I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I, I think I can handle that. Um, but let me just say, I, this is what I've experienced personally. And I, I don't mean that to sound like I'm tooting my own arm like this generous person or, or whatever, because I... I'm not lying when I tell you covetousness, greed, materialism, self, it, it's all right here. I promise you that. And I've made plenty of mistakes and I battle it all the time. But I've got to say that Kelly and I decided just a few months before we got married that this is what we were going to do. That this was just, this was the life that we were going to choose. Um, this 10% plus. And, you know, starting out we had nothing. And so in some ways it made it, I think, harder and easier. We, like, we, didn't, have, we didn't have a lifestyle to pick, right? Uh, every, so we made our budget. We, we just put that outside of it, right? We did, it was never even an option for us. And, and there are times, yes, when we, we make mistakes. There are times when we, uh, yeah, when we just look at our lives and we think, man, we could go on better vacations. We could live in a bigger house, nicer cars, funner toys. Um, we could do more for our kids and they know it. But the reality is, and this is what I've heard from those of you who have lived this out, this other way is just better. Not easier. I mean, don't think that for a moment. It doesn't always look better or seem better. Frankly, it doesn't even feel better half the time, right? It is, without a doubt, it is a paradox. But if you spend your life trying to buy happiness, you're going to end up shortchanged. Spend your life trying to give happiness, 
And there's a chance you might actually get it. Jesus might have been right when he said, it's better to give than to get. Let's pray. God, you know how stingy I can be, how how greedy and self-centered. So God, I pray for your forgiveness. I'm so thankful that because of Jesus, you can offer that freely without hesitation. That you pour it out upon all who come to you in faith. And God, I, I pray that as a response to the generosity that we've received, God, help us to be generous people. God, I pray, I pray that we would fight the covetousness that so easily takes over in our lives. God, that we would, that we would embrace the work, even the toil that you've placed around us and that we would live generously with everything in every aspect of our lives. And, and God, not simply so that we receive these benefits, although we're thankful that they come along with it. God, I pray that we would do it because your kingdom is better the life that you call us to, even a life of painful sacrifice is simply better. May we be a people who embrace it and see together then, God, what you can do. We trust you, Jesus. Amen.